0: This episode is brought to you by Adorama, No Film School partnered with Adorama to bring you an exclusive group buy of the e Spectrum ST, giving you a smooth and affordable motion control option that you can use in your very next project. As filmmakers, we know the difficulties of precisely controlling a camera's position and seamlessly using motion control, and doing it all on budget. That's where the e Spectrum ST comes in. With 4-axis of movement, a 15-pound payload, up to 180 degrees a second pan, and 75 degrees a second tilt speed, the Spectrum ST can easily be integrated into your production and become a natural part of your toolset. And with your group buy, you can get it up to a 25% discount until November 30th, 2018. Go to Adorama.com slash ST4 for more information. Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a No Film School podcast. I'm John Fusco.
1: I'm Liz Nord.
0: I'm Eric Lures. And it is November 1st, 2018. On this week's show, the death of another great streaming service, more expensive new products from Apple, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. <music> Hello and welcome to the show again. Uh, it's the day after Halloween here.
1: <laughs> oh. um, We're not doing our Halloween show, but I had to do at least one Halloween sound effect. Yeah,
2: and we are still dressed up in costume for the episode, even though you can't see us.
0: Eric is a member of the Blue Man Group. I am, yes. I, I shouldn't even be speaking if I was going to really be in character, then True. I guess. But yeah. He'll break out the drums later. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Liz, you're a skeleton. Yes. And I am... An SF Giants boy.
1: Cool. Actually, you're like a Bay Area guy. You I am Golden like a State Bay Area Warriors, guy. Golden State Warriors and-
0: This is basically just how I am. Every day. <laughs> um, we didn't
2: plan them too uh, in-depthly, but you know. Yeah, there's works. not much of a theme going on. No, no. We don't get invited to Halloween parties. No. no. I, you Speak know. for
1: yourselves. Did you? Actually, you guys, you'd be so proud of me. Me, the wuss of the show, I went to a horror movie this year. What was it? This For Newfest, I went to a drag queen slasher film, what? normal, uh. called Killer Unicorn, shot here in Brooklyn.
0: Wow. Ah, yeah. I would like to see
2: that. And isn't... I
1: didn't even leave, although I was tempted several times.
0: I actually did dress up for Halloween. Can you guess what I dressed up as?
1: A guy from Super Deluxe?
0: Nope.
2: Close. Um, as Nicolas Cage's character in
1: Mandy. <gasps> yeah. Oh, really? Oh, perfect. oh. <laughs> that's perfect for you. Yeah,
0: it was pretty good. But then I didn't even end up going out, and I stayed in. <laughs> you just, <laughs> and, just <laughs> sat on I your couch covered for in myself. Blood? I just, yeah, I just uh, sat in and had a few friends over. We were gonna go out, and then we got too caught up in this thing, and uh, before we knew it, it was 3 a.m. and we were doing a stage reading of the Frazier episode of Halloween. Oh. So it was well, a very.
2: That's how, I do not know what to say. That's about how that. I spend my Thanksgivings, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The Fraser episode of Thanksgiving. I think there's one, maybe covered <laughs> in blood. Yeah. Also,
0: exactly. Yeah. Anyways, another thing that's happening soon is uh how do you call it voting day is that what we'd call it is it still election day, election election day? day. yeah it it's election actually
1: day. An, a holiday so it's all caps oh, wow. i learned that being a i learned that being an editor here at no film school it's capital e capital d election day
0: well we've got some work to do before it's an actual holiday i For think damn sure uh because many of us still have work on election day holiday uh but how about you guys are you guys planning on voting
1: you fucking oh. know I am.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness
2: gracious, <laughs> no, Liz! I'm
1: serious about this.
2: Liz, maybe I'm still on the fence. You don't know how I feel. I, uh, I just nothing Sure, to I'll do vote. With you. I'll vote. Why not? Who, who's up? Who's 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 playing this year? <laughs> wow! I think
0: it's the Republicans versus the Democrats
2: again. Yeah. Can't they just meet each other, so, you know, side by side?
0: Uh well, you know, that's the dream. That's the <sighs> American dream. But you know, we were just talking about how uh, we should probably get the day off to go and vote. Um And Alamo Drafthouse certainly thinks that's the case, too. They're going pretty hard on this Election Day coverage, which is very cool. Uh, if you've been to one of their l- theaters lately—I actually just saw Halloween there last week— you may have noticed that they're playing fan-submitted short films about voting uh, that play before every feature. And in a statement emailed out by the popular Dine and Movie Theater chain, they announced that on November 6th, which is Election Day in capital letters—well, just two capital letters— Alamo Drafthouse screens from coast to coast will be dark. Lobbies will be empty. No queso will be made. Well, until mid-afternoon, at least. That's because all 36 of the cinema eateries' location will be canceling the first round of shows to allow all employees time to vote in the midterm elections.
1: Dude, that's so cool.
0: It's very cool. And it's also like, who's going to be going to see a movie at 9 or 10 in the morning anyways? So, it's great. Works out for everyone. In a quote from Alamo Draft House founder and CEO Tim League, he said, My mom instilled in me at a young age the importance of voting in every election, and I try to pay that forward with the staff at Alamo. So we're closing our locations for the first round of shows and offering to pick up the tab on any staff member's ride chair to a polling place. Okay, I'm voting. Well, Are you are you working for Alamo Draft House? Oh, good point. Sorry, I forgot about that key factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we got the day off at no film school, but hey.
2: I'm working from home.
0: Yeah. It's true. (laughs) So one of Alamo Draft House's uh, core priorities is civic participation, they claim, including encouraging voter participation in the 27 cities Alamo Draft House serves. Those efforts have included a national voter awareness PSA contest, partnerships with civic leaders on nonpartisan voter registration camps, distribution of I'm so gonna vote stickers at the box office. And for many employees, actually becoming voter registers. And we think this is a pretty awesome stuff in that, you know, hey, maybe every other uh, workplace in America should follow suit. But uh, who are we to say?
2: So just a few weeks ago, we had discussed how the North American box office had one of its most successful summers on record. Thanks to a lot of successful children films, actually. Uh, And now it appears that that success is steamrolling into the fall. As October has just concluded, we can now officially declare October 2018 as the most financially successful October in North American movie-going history. All right. Now, you may think that that's just because ticket prices are rising, and that has something to do with it, but the previous record holder was 2014, so we we're a couple years gap where we we're actually decreasing, not increasing. So, led by Venom, Starsborn, Halloween, Smallfoot, and Night School... Films in theaters over the past month grossed a combined $795 million, beating the previous record holder of 2014 by almost $40 million, which was then dominated by David Fincher's Gone Girl and Annabelle, which is of the Conjuring franchise. Halloween and A Star is Born are probably the two most surprising successes of the month, with both on their way to approximately $200 million in domestic box office totals. Of course, A Star is Born, thanks to awards season, will most likely have more staying power over the next three or four or five months, however long that goes, Uh, while Halloween will see large drops in audience as soon as we get to this upcoming weekend. But the success has already been accounted for. Why is that, Eric? Why do you think it'll drop off? Because, you know, right after October 31st, people are like, do you want to see Halloween for the for Veterans Day or or, or or Election Day or Thanksgiving, you know? I don't know. I'd still watch a horror movie in November. Oh, I will be. Definitely. Uh, but Halloween only had a $10 million production budget and has already grossed 13 times that amount here in the U.S. And, of course, sequels tend to dominate October with previous top earners of the month, including Jackass 3D, Paranormal Activity 3D, Taken 2, Blade Runner 2049, so that has over 2,000 sequels, uh, and The Departed... <laughs> And the Departed, which was a remake rather than a sequel, but uh, of course starred Jack Nicholson in a role inspired by Whitey Bulger, who just died this week, the uh, fam- infamous gangster. Um, so October has had much success, and this is actually going to be an up year where I feel like the last couple of years, like, why aren't people going to theaters anymore? Box office grosses are going down, and actually we keep seeing a rise over the past three, four, or five months so far.
1: Good job, moviegoers.
2: Yeah,
0: thanks, Movie Pass. <laughs> except, yeah, you except know. except maybe it's thanks to Movie Pass. Dropping, yeah. I need a to, I need to cancel my movie. Yeah, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, like Movie Pass. I feel like a lot of people have phased that out of their lives. Uh, yet October continues to be the strongest October yeah. uh, in cinema history. So that's, you know, maybe uh, the death of Movie Pass won't be. That big
2: to Yeah, people will not stop going to movies. Maybe I wonder on.
1: if it, having existed, sort of encouraged people to get back to the theaters and reminded them, oh yeah, the theatrical experience is cool, and now they want to go and pay for it. Yeah,
0: yeah, they got popcorn <laughs> there.
2: Fancy, fancier seats. I feel like there's more of those luxury. Yeah, yeah. Recliners. The luxury
1: seats are so good.
2: Yeah, it's very couch-like. I like it. <laughs> I have almost new- like watching a movie in your own home. In my own home, but for an extra fifteen bucks with <laughs> strangers who I will not talk to. It's surely the greatest relaxing experience of my life.
1: My couch doesn't have like feet that go up or a no. boom like a, a bass speaker underneath it. Yeah, but it's, it's got go. if
0: you if you put a table next to your couch, you can kind of like simulate the uh, recliner experience.
1: Not the same. Mm, this
2: is like a do-it-yourself movie theater experience. <laughs> DIY.
0: We're trying to get more DIY posts up. Mm. Maybe we could. Uh,
1: oh, I like it. Um, before I go into my news item, I will quickly add a PSA to John's news item, which when you when you mentioned that Alamo is covering the cost of their employees uh, like taxi rides to the polls or whatever, it reminded me that Lyft um, is offering free rides to polling places. So if you have trouble getting to your polling place, um, normally or you you know you don't have a car and you're in a driving area, Lyft will will, hit, will hook you up.
0: What if my polling place is in California? JetBlue will hook you
1: up with a free (laughs) air flight. (laughs) Yeah, that I don't know about. Um, But I do know that I've read time and time again that in this election, it's the millennial vote that could really swing things one way or another. So I know a majority of our listeners fall into that category. I hate the word millennial, but I love you millennials. And you better get your asses out there and vote no matter who you're voting for. Now, a sad story. No sooner did we say goodbye to Super Deluxe last week when another favorite online presence bit the dust. Warner Media, the same mega company that killed Super Deluxe, announced earlier this week that Filmstruck, the streaming service for foreign cinema and classic film, is ending operations on November 29th. We've talked about Filmstruck a lot here on the show. You probably know that it's best known as the exclusive streaming home for the Criterion Collection, which was previously available to stream on Hulu. And just earlier this year, Warner Brothers had shut down its own archive and moved its entire archive of classic films like Casablanca, Rebel Without a Cause, and Citizen Kane onto Filmstruck. Now, all's not lost. There are ways to get a lot of these films still. There are other niche streaming services to support like Mubi, Canopy, and Fandor, which, by the way, is now offering a 50% discount on annual memberships for Filmstruck members for a limited time. And Canopy is particularly worth noting because it's free with a library card in most places, and actually it has several of the Criterion films. Also, Criterion put out a statement saying that it will look for ways to bring its library back online in some form in the future. That being said, I'm going to leave you with a foreboding line from Wired's Brian Rafferty for those of us who consider ourselves students of cinema as well as practitioners. He said, the sudden demise of Filmstruck should serve as a dire warning to anyone who believed the streaming era could open up our cultural history. The more we entrust our art to the tech titans, the quicker it can disappear.
2: So I I never had a Filmstruck account, but, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of... You're part of of the problem. No,
1: I know, but I see so
2: many tweets about, you know, oh, this is why we have physical media. This is why we can't throw out all of our DVDs and things of that nature. Uh, And it's true. It's just... I'm still afraid that every next generation of streaming service that we go through, more things will get lost uh, as we get further and further along.
0: I, I just started my own Criterion collection like two weeks ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, what are you, psychic? Yeah. He I don't knew. Know. He knew. Well, he, it's funny because I did buy scanners. I bought like uh, some David Cronenberg movies uh, because I am I was tired of like uh, having to, I don't know, search for that shit illegally. I wanted to actually like have it. Yeah. Um, and it's actually like not that expensive now to get Criterion movies on Amazon. It's like twenty to thirty bucks. Mm. Uh, Barnes and Noble, it's like fifty bucks yeah. still for some reason. But um, yeah, and, and they're all Criterion is always having these like flash sales where they put like fifty percent off um, your entire purchase uh, deals going on. So like you know, follow Criterion Collection on Instagram or Twitter and like try and to uh, keep up with that. Uh, Garek, do you have? Do you guys have a Criterion collection going at all? I
2: I have about like 900 DVDs. Wow. Uh, but I haven't bought any in a while. But this was like around 2005, 2006, 2007 when it was like you could get them for like three bucks and like really build through that. Uh, and they're all at my parents' house because I can't get that into my apartment. So I do. I probably have maybe 40 wow. Criterion's or so. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I used to just be interested in like getting those out of print ones because of the commentaries and there were some yeah totally it's awesome over and, the, uh, yeah.
0: The, the Videodrome Blu-ray that I got uh, has like a panel with Cronenberg Carpenter and uh, I don't know I want to say De Palma about like horror uh, like on it yeah um, and then in addition it has like the two separate commentary tracks like uh you know, one from um, one from Cronenberg and one from Blondie and uh, James Woods. Oh, so well,
1: that's one of the bummer things about FilmStruck closing too is that they were creating all this original content with like cool behind the scenes stuff, and I hope that that finds a new home somewhere and doesn't just like disappear because FilmStruck disappears.
2: Yeah, it's just a good reminder that you never own it. You know, you never own that content, and even you know, for home video use.
3: And now here's Charles Hain with the gear news. Charles, are you here today? Hey, everybody. This is Charles Hain. I am here with Tech News This Week. So our biggest story this week is Apple rolled out a whole host of new tools for professionals. And this was a first for us, or at least for me. We were invited to the press event with, like, Tim Cook on stage and everybody there. And it happened literally around the corner from us, like 200 feet from here at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, where we all see movies all the time. Uh, crazily they shut down the streets like blocks in all directions with like NYPD everywhere it felt like a politician was in town Uh, but it was just an Apple product release also the crowd didn't really feel like the normal tech news NAB crowd it was like a little more stylish a little more like international jet set There were definitely some, like, famous YouTubers there, I felt like. So it was, like, a really interesting thing. I was very excited to finally get to go to an Apple presser. Um, But the real news that you guys all care about, because you guys don't care about what I was up to on a chilly Tuesday morning, is they released three things, all of which I think are kind of useful for filmmakers. So, first, the MacBook Air, which, like, look... If you're a writer, the MacBook Air is all you need. A lot of directors we know use them. Even some producers we know use them. They're wonderful machines, but they haven't been updated in like five years. And now new MacBook Airs, which are like the lightest laptop ever. And they have Thunderbolt 3 ports, which is amazing. And they even had a slide of the MacBook Air and the Blackmagic eGPU, the external GPU box. And we love that they had that slide because that was the first thing we thought about when we saw the MacBook Airs. We were like, wait a minute. Is this a laptop where I can like write all day in the coffee shop and take it with me, never worry about it, and then back in the office, plug it in the GPU and have like a real workstation. And I think they are claiming that it is, which is really cool. They also have the full row of function keys, because if you've read either of my MacBook Pro reviews, you know the touch bar doesn't make any sense to me. Um, full row of old school function keys with touch ID, which is kind of bold. Especially because the MacBook Air really seems like the product that would get a touch bar. So the fact that there is no touch bar is really interesting to me. And it makes me think maybe Apple is, you know, they have all sorts of internal monitoring on how much people actually use this stuff. I wonder if Apple's like, oh, the touch bar's a flop. And maybe we won't have to put up with it in our MacBook Pros next year. Which would be awesome. Because I like Touch ID. I just never use the touch bar. I even put stickers on mine so I could find the spots in the dark. Next up a new Mac mini, which doesn't seem that interesting at first because you're like, I'm a filmmaker. I need a iP- Mac Pro or I need a Mac Pro. But honestly, like, you see Mac minis all the time. Like, all sorts of little posthouses have it as, like, their little, like, user server to let you log into to different machines with different logins. and Or you'll see it all the time. Like, I had one as my home media server for a long time. And th- they're just around. Like, I see Resolve servers put on Mac minis all the time. And what's super cool about this one is not only did they keep the Ethernet port you can optionally upgrade that ethernet port to 10 gig, which is huge because 10 gig is copper networking, but it's super fast copper networking. Obviously you could get those speeds out of fiber before, but fiber is annoying and you need like a full-time engineer to maintain it and the cables are expensive, whereas copper cables are cheap. And so most post houses on like the indie level all run on copper. So this is really exciting. Now, all of a sudden, I could have my Mac Mini and a Jellyfish and an iMac Pro and all of them can be pulling that media off the Jellyfish at 10 gig speeds, which is like plenty of speed for a lot of work. So that's super exciting. They also let you really beef the Mac Mini up, not in graphics, although you could use again the eGPU, um, but there's like four Thunderbolt 3 USB-C ports, there's two legacy USB-3 ports, like the old shapes, you don't need dongles. You can get up to 64 gigabytes of RAM, the processors are pretty fast. You could actually maybe build a little workstation out of it with an eGPU, which could be kinda cool, especially because it starts at like $799, and then you get the $699 eGPU, and for like $1400, you'd have sort of a screaming machine. So the Mac Mini is also cool. And then last up, they did a whole host of upgrades in the iPad Pro. The biggest news here of course they got rid of the lightning port and replaced it with USB-C port which is like something we ain't, we all thought apple would never do but it's great because USB-C is way more robust than lightning you can plug it into a 5k monitor and drive a 5k monitor with your uh, ipad pro you can hook it up to your camera to download photos directly you can hook it up to a little mixer box they didn't show a photo of it hooked up to a hard drive though so i don't know about like editing on it plugged into an external hard drive But if they don't officially support it, I bet someone else will figure out a workaround. In the meantime, they claim it's got like an insanely powerful graphics processor. Uh, They were showing this insane uh, Photoshop demo with like hundreds of layers, massive resolution. It was a three gigabyte Photoshop file they were working on and it appeared seamless. So I'm excited to see how that ends up playing into filmmaker workflows. To be honest, I think Touch will come to photographers way before Touch comes to filmmakers. But I'm still excited to see what happens. Up next, we ran a review of the Emotimo Spectrum ST. Um, I played with this thing over the summer, and it's really cool. It's not necessarily new, but it was like our biggest hands-on time with a sort of like independently affordable motion control unit. By independently affordable, like around four, five thousand bucks, depending upon accessories, and you can probably get one to rent for like two fifty a day. Why did we do it? Well. Lots of reasons, but one of the things is a lot of, like, affordable style motion control stuff is starting to come out. And then I had this experience when I was, like, in film school 20 years ago where I built a jib. And what was great about that is I always had a jib and I used it constantly. And I went jib crazy and I was, like, throwing the jib around everywhere and all these jib shots where we didn't need them. And I sort of got, like, I got, like, jib craziness out of my system like when you first start cooking and you put bacon on everything because it's just so good, you sort of got to, gotta like, go through that phase. And I learned how to think about jib moves and I learned how to plan them better And because the tool was just always around. And now I can watch a movie, and I'm thinking of a specific movie here, uh, but I won't name it, uh, where you're watching a movie and you're like, oh, the director just only had a jib that one day and that was the first day they ever had a jib and they didn't know what to do with it. And it's, like, so obvious when you're watching it where it's just like, Oh, you'd never used one before. That was your first day, and the jib guy came out. And you were like, hey, jib guy, and you had no idea what to do with it. So I'm a big believer that like, sometimes having tools around where they're easy to use and play with a lot is super great. So I wanted to spend some time with a motion control device, and now that the prices are getting like reasonably indie affordable, and the eModomo was great. My only reservation about it was my brain wasn't adapted to using it right. The only time I actually tried to use it on a shoot I didn't properly plan the, sh- the shot well enough to fit in the time we had for it, because my brain is still learning how to really think in motion control. But all of my tests with it were amazing. It's really cool the Emotimo because it's got obviously pan and tilt, but it also has an external motor that you can get for uh, like dolly moves on like a uh, Dana dolly, and it has a built-in controller for a focus motor. And we started doing this really cool stuff with it where we started using it for B-roll. So, we went out and we would do like time lapse establishing shots where it's like over 10 minutes as it like drifts and the focus and the pan and the tilt all come together, landing on the building all together while the clouds are moving. And that's the kind of thing that previously took a couple people to do. It wasn't something you were doing yourself. And all of a sudden, with the Emotimo using like a little PlayStation controller, you were like setting it up and executing like that. So, it was really cool. It was super fun. Um, My biggest thing. I honestly think my next gear purchase might be something like this, just so that I always have it around and I start bringing it on every shoot and I start learning to think
2: th-
3: about all of the things that it enables me to do. I'm a slow learner. I like to have a lot of time to play with stuff. And I was really excited about the Emotimo. I found it really easy to program, I found it really easy to execute with. Uh, I found it very robustly built. And I was surprised a few cases it packed up into. Uh, Next up, DJI has upgraded the Mavic 2 to the Mavic 2 Enterprise. If you don't remember, uh, Randall Asulto, our drone master, uh, did a nice review of the Mavic 2. It is amazing. It is a real powerhouse drone. It is so far head and shoulders above the rest of the packets. Like, super exciting. Um... Well built, great image quality. You can even get one with a Hasselbrad branding on it that's got the bigger sensor, which really produces some beautiful imagery. It really gives, I mean obviously there's still gonna be times you wanna use the Inspire 2, but it's a powerhouse. And what's fun about the Enterprise accessories are, most of them aren't gonna be that relevant. Uh, Like there's one that attaches a speaker to the top so you can like broadcast messages useful in enterprise, I guess maybe useful on a film set for directing extras. Like you have a thousand extras out there in the distance and you can fly a drone out. And then the first day you can be like, everybody raise your swords. Um, But there's probably other ways to do that without a drone. Um, But the cool thing is that there is sort of an accessory mount, and there's a spotlight built into it. And we all love lighting off drones, right? Because when you're doing a night scene, sometimes you just need to like throw a little backlight up there a little far in the distance. Now, obviously the drama with lighting from drones is the noise. But if you're doing like an MOS thing where it's not dialogue-y and like a character is running through a field at night, the ability to just like put a little rim light on them to separate them out from the background and throw it up in the sky and have a drone operator sort of stay far enough away. It's not interfering with your shot, but close enough. You're getting like a little dust on the back of the person. That's the kind of little touch stuff that makes great cinematography. When you're putting like it's like two under key or it's like three under key and you wouldn't even know like, ooh there's a backlight there. But it's just separating the person out from the background. So that is the first thing we want to try with the Mavic 2 Enterprise. Last up. Really quick, Blackmagic has already released a pro eGPU. So the original eGPU came out in like August. And we did a review of it, or Lily Kleinman did. Did a great job. Really fun tool. Only useful for certain things. Probably not going to speed up your Photoshop. Will definitely speed up like plugins and noise correction and other GPU-heavy things. But they've already released. That one was 699 Now they've just come out with an $1199 uh, model that instead of using the Radeon 580, uses a Radeon RX56, which is like... Somewhere between 50% to 100% faster depending upon what you're doing with it. So there's going to be some things where it really makes it scream. There's going to be some things, I mean, even the worst things, you're going to get a 50% bump if it's a GPU thing. Um, Frustratingly, even though they say Pro, it still doesn't have like a mini monitor integrated into it with an SDI out. That's what I really want more than anything else. So I don't have to bring like a separate monitor output to set. I could just roll up with like an eGPU and a MacBook Air and a mini uh, resolve panels and like be color grading. And obviously if I'm bringing all the rest of that stuff, bringing a mini monitor on top of that, it's not the end of the world. But you know, the fewer cables, the more integrated you can get, the better off we are. So Blackmagic, if you listen to this, uh, if you have like a, an ultra pro coming, it would be awesome if it had a mini monitor with SDI out built in, you know, among all the billion of other things you're working on. This is Charles again with Ask No Film School. Emil F. Scanning asks, I'm shooting an outdoors scene in November in a small shelter with some planks missing from the walls, and I'm thinking about creating that light beam effect by using a hazer. The problem is the only lights I have are these smaller LED lights, which aren't super bright, and he includes a link. I'm sh- shooting in daylight, probably in the morning, like 8 to 10, 11 a.m., the sky is probably going to be cloudy. Is the sunlight going to be too bright for the LEDs to create the light beams? So the first thing we can say, which we always say, is like, shoot tests. We're huge believers in testing. We will shoot multiple tests. We will shoot like three sets of tests for a single scene. Testing changes everything. Often you'll do one set of tests. You'll learn some stuff. You'll test other stuff in day two. You'll you you'll learn some more stuff. And then you'll learn all sorts of other stuff in testing day three and then you walk to set and you're like, ah, I've tested all this so I'm feeling confident and then of course the weather will be different on the shoot day but whatever, testing is great but you gave us some info in there and based on that info, the lights you mentioned are not going to be powerful enough to fight daylight. The lights you mentioned are perfectly great lights for like working in a night interior but they're these sort of LED panels that are not really going to punch out enough volume to go against daylight. They probably can't even fill fill on a daylight shoot. They just don't have that power, that punch. The sun is very, 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 very bright. And even on an overcast day, you're still getting a large light volume out of the sun. But we wanted to answer this question, not just to talk about light volume, but also to talk about light quality. See, the big key here is that light can be hard or soft. Soft light, which is usually a larger, it's always a larger source, right? You will often Reflected against a wall to make it bigger or put it through diffusion to make it bigger. Soft light can be very flattering to human skin tones. But if you want to create that shaft of light through haze, you want to put your fogger up and fog the scene and have a shaft shoot through it, you need a hard light. Hard lights are created by smaller sources. And those particular light units you pointed us to, not only are they not really powerful enough to fight daylight, they're also designed to be soft lights. They're sort of these flat panel LED lights. So they're not really going to give you a shaft in most situations. However, you own a hazer, it sounds like. And if you don't own a hazer, DJ hazers are so cheap. You can test this at home. And my suspicion is you're going to have to get the light units far away to get them harder. Because as a light unit gets far away, the quality of the light gets harder. Because the relative size of the source gets smaller. That's why sunlight is so hard, even though the sun is way bigger than Earth. But those LED lights probably don't have the power for you to back them way up and still get a shaft out of them. Unfortunately, you mentioned it's probably going to be a cloudy day. You actually said it's definitely going to be a cloudy day and I want to know how you're so confident uh, in the future of the weather. Using the Farmer's Almanac? Um, cloudy days create soft light. The first thing we'd recommend is shoot scouting that location at various times a day and use an app like Sunseeker to plan out where the sun's going to be and try and figure out where the sun's going to be to punch the hardest shaft of sunlight, it can through those planks. And then I would, if you really want that shaft of light through the haze, I would try and shoot on a clear day. Like if it's cloudy, I'd reschedule. Because that clear day with a direct sun shaft and enough haze in that little shelter, you're going to get a shaft of light because sunlight can be very hard. But if it has to be overcast, there's one last option I'm going to throw at you. You could try and get your hands on a mirror board. These are cheap to rent. Uh, You can also just buy a big mirror, although the frustrating thing about a big mirror is they're hard to position, whereas if you actually go rent a mirror board, they're usually in a yoke, so you can set a specific angle. And a mirror board is designed for creating a hard light reflection. Now, usually you're not going to get much out of a mirror board on a cloudy day. Usually a mirror board's really great when you're, like, shooting in the woods, and you put the mirror board in a clearing, and you can use, like, a hard shaft of sunlight in the clearing and the mirror board to punch that light into the woods. That's a really common scenario. But you can catch a little off a mirror board on a cloudy day. I've seen it happen, depending upon how cloudy it is. Um, And you could use that mirror board to take that sunlight, which is super bright, and create a hard shaft with it. The trick of the mirror board is you got to constantly watch it to shake it up. As the sun keeps moving through the sky, you're shaking it up every single take. But if you stay on top of a mirror board, they're not a very expensive rental if you're near a rental house. In fact... If you're in Los Angeles, go to Berkeley Avenue Productions. Uh, Somehow I gave them to Mirror Boards at some point. I have no idea how they ended up with me. Like maybe someone gave them to me as payment and then I gave them to Berkeley to store and then I never needed them back. They're big and they're heavy. So I don't really know how I ended up with them. But I had some and Berkeley Avenue has them. He might have sold them. Regardless, Mirror Boards, wonderful tool for getting that high volume of light that you need because it's taking the sun and it's pushing it on. So it's preserving that volume. And I think you're going to have a much better time getting what you're looking for out of a mirror board than trying to get more punch out of like little LED panels, which are better for different things. Thank you very much, Mr. Scanning, for your question. Let us know how it goes. Send us screenshots.
0: And now on to some movies opening this week on VOD or digital. You can rent Miseducation of Cameron Post or should I say, the miseducation of Cameron Post on November 6th. Desiree Akhavan's movie starring Chloe Grace Moretz is the story of a queer young girl's effort to assert her identity against all odds. Teenage Cameron Post, who is played by Moretz, is nonchalant about her sexuality. Were it not for her family's deeply religious and conservative worldview, Cameron probably wouldn't hide the fact that she's attracted to women. So am I! Yeah, but you hide it. Yeah, that's true. You (laughs) You can totally tell us nonchalant, that is, until she is caught hooking up with a female classmate and outed to her parents. Almost without deliberation, Cameron is sent off to God's Promise, a gay conversion therapy camp where she will be quote-unquote cured of her same-sex attraction. This movie won this year's Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, and it's lensed by cinematographer Ashley Connor, who's been on the show, I think, more than any, maybe more than me at this point. At Sundance earlier this year, Emily Booter sat down for an interview with Connor to discuss how she shot sex scenes without objectifying the young woman, how she works from an emotional place, and why it's copacetic. <laughs> you can tell who wrote this. <laughs> Emily Booter, bring it out, copacetic.
1: That's right. Our loquacious I don't even know Buter. how to...
0: Am I saying that word right? Yeah. Copacetic? Yeah. yeah. What does it mean? <laughs>
1: It means okay. Let's call Emily on the phone. It part. means okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's okay to call her female DP.
0: Well, Emily has outed me as a dumbass.
1: <laughs> I don't think Emily did that. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry, John. <That's laughs>
0: totally fine, Liz. How she works from an emotional place and why it's copacetic, which we all know means okay, to call her a female <laughs> DP. You can read that article on the site. Good luck. <laughs> 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 you
2: read it in a dictionary to get through. <laughs> you need a thesaurus just to read the thing. Oh, my
0: God. Okay, so we decided to look up what copacetic means uh, in English, and uh, it means it's an adjective for in excellent order.
1: Aight. Other than other words, aight. So it's aight. Yeah. yeah. So. In a probably not coincidental voting period release, Maxim Pozdrovkin's Sundance documentary Our New President hit the digital platforms this week. This unconventional film was made entirely of YouTube clips and news footage from Russia that were created leading up to and immediately after the election of Donald Trump. This movie is a total head trip, and what's almost as interesting as the finished work is the motive behind it. We tend to look at documentaries as some search for expression of truth, but Pozdrovkin told me in an interview we did back in Park City that he was trying to construct his film entirely out of lies. His exact quote was, we wanted to make a film that bombards you with outright fabrication. It won the World Cinema Documentary Special Jury Award for editing at Sundance and is definitely worth a look if you want to begin to understand what the fuck is going on when it comes to modern day propaganda and fake news. And we'll uh, link to my interview with him on the podcast post.
2: And then premiering on Netflix on Friday is The Other Side of the Wind. So it's good news. We can all finally watch Orson Welles' unreleased film. So between Welles' death in 1985 and the middle of this decade, the footage shot between 1970 and 1976 had sat on several continents in ill-marked cans, the bulk of them in a Paris vault at the mercy of financial claims and counterclaims. So Netflix coughed up the big bucks to pry loose the estimated 100 hours of unreleased footage from interested parties. Wells edited 30% of the movie and left behind notes and annotated scripts. But it was editor Bob Murrowski who labored to channel the spirit of Wells and bring the other side of the wind to the form it's in now. So the film is a faux documentary of the last day in the life of a madly self-indulgent director, J.J. Jake, that's a lot of J's, J.J. Jake Hannaford, played by John Huston, and that's intercut with scenes from the film he's working on and will never have the money to finish. So many think the work is semi-autobiographical. Apparently, few frames are held for longer than five seconds, and Wells jumps between black and white in color and among different film stocks, 35mm, 16mm, Super 8, etc., Netflix is also preparing on releasing Morgan Neville's superb freeform documentary of the film's making, They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, this week as well. So it's a nice companion piece. Chris Boone wrote more about the film's long journey in his article, Netflix Swoops In to Finance the Completion of Orson Welles' Final Film. So I've heard a lot about this. It was at the New York Film Festival and I believe Venice. And it'll be weird to be able to stream a new, quote-unquote, new Orson Welles movie.
1: I actually saw the documentary, The Love Me When I'm Dead, at Camden last month. And um, it's really bizarre. Like, I think for for us as filmmakers, it's really worth watching the doc, even if you don't see the feature. But seeing them as companion pieces, which is how they played at Venice, like, would be really interesting. But, I mean, it's a tough watch because it's like you see this, you know, someone we look at as one of our greats, kind of like in his falling apart stage. It's hard. Oh,
2: is a lot of behind the scenes on set footage too? Is there any of that? It's
1: it's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's it's a lot of interviews with people who were there and were sort of like, "Yeah." So, things got a little tough for old Orsi. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Peter Bogdanovich with his ascot.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Have you ever seen that like commercial of Orson Welles uh, Drunk with wine? No, I don't think he was drunk, but he was. Well, you trying... seem
1: so drunk. He
0: might have been drunk. I think he was just like egotistical, like about it. But he he was like selling wine. I think. Yeah, it's like great. he
1: was like selling bad champagne. Yeah, and he was sort of like, "Fuck you, I'm also Wells." Like, it, was hey, crazy. it out. <laughs> May
0: have been great
2: champagne, by the way he was <laughs> acting about
0: it. Anyways, on Hulu, um, starting November first, you can watch Existence, which uh, I think it's spelled it's. It's spelled kind of weird. I think it's lowercase it's lower e, ca- capital X. Yeah, it's lowercase e, capital X, and then a capital, capital Z, Z. Yeah. at the end. Uh, Existence, uh, which is a movie by David Cronenberg. Uh, if you haven't been able to tell by what we've been talking about earlier today, I've been on a real Cronenberg kick this month, and I feel like this uh, film is often one that's overlooked. It's not one of his most core or essential films, but I think it's really Cronenberg's, like, flexing is. Muscles. There's there's weird bodily humor. There's trippy sci-fi storylines. Those little
2: squishy video game controls. Yeah, squishy video. Weird like. Very sexually squishy. Yeah, sexually squishy. (laughs) Yes.
0: Giant bugs. Mm Uh, So in it, a game designer on the run from assassins must play her latest virtual reality creation with a marketing trainee to determine if the game has been damaged. The film came out in 1999, and this was like right before Cronenberg's Viggo Mortensen renaissance period. Uh, So that's probably why it it, it kind of flies under the radar a bit. Uh, It stars a young Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Leigh, as well as Ian Holm, Willem Dafoe, and Christopher Eccleston. So it's got a great cast, and it's uh, really (laughs) crazy... Movie, as crazy as you'd expect coming from uh, Crony. And coming to theaters on November 2nd is Prospect. This low-budget sci-fi film was one of my most anticipated movies going into South by Southwest and ended up being my favorite coming out. Back in March, I predicted that it would unfortunately land on Netflix or a streaming service, but I was wrong, and thankfully it was picked up for theatrical distribution because this one really deserves to be seen on a big screen. In it, a teenage girl and her father travel to a remote alien moon, aiming to strike it rich. They've secured a contract to harvest a large deposit of the elusive gems hidden in the depths of the moon's toxic forests, but there are others roving the wilderness, and the job quickly devolves into a fight to survive. Making low-budget sci-fi is an incredibly tricky thing to do, especially one as original as this. There generally just isn't enough money to sink into all the production design and visual effects that the genre demands, and for that reason you have to be extremely thoughtful about which aspects of the production you feel necessary to highlight in order to sort of build a world. In Prospect, the level of thinking that co-directors Chris Caldwell and Zeke Earle went through pervades through each and every frame. In addition to writing and directing the feature, which is based on a short of the same name, which you might have seen, Earl actually took on the role of cinematographer as well. The footage is nothing less than stunning. I sat down with the directors at South by Southwest for a podcast, and we discussed their decision to rent a warehouse in Seattle, fill it up with 30 different artists, from bike makers to carpenters, and go through seven months of pre-production, building the universe of their debut feature as practically and detailed as they could. You can check out that podcast and the short the feature is based on on the site. And also stay tuned for another article coming out soon from the director and production designer with tips on low-budget production design.
1: That was one of my favorite podcasts you did all last year. Really? I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I thought it was so interesting. Oh,
0: cool. Thank you. Yeah, they're really cool guys. We hung out at South by Southwest after, uh, which is kind of like the first time I've been at a festival like doing news coverage where the people that I've interviewed have wanted to like hang out with me after. <laughs> Usually they want to stay far away. Yeah, exactly. But this
2: did not go as planned.
0: So uh, yeah, it's great. I'm so happy that it got theatrical distribution. Because people were like, when, it, when I was going to South by Southwest, they released this teaser trailer um, for the film and I would actually had friends like text me uh, the trailer and be like, whoa, this movie looks awesome. And I was like, yeah, I actually have that like sitting in a screener right now. I'm gonna watch it tonight and I'll tell you how awesome it is and hopefully you'll be able to see it I and uh, it so the, now they'll be able to see it
2: the day before we left right for the when we yeah. on the flight i think yeah,
0: yeah i watched it on on vimeo on my uh tv but you know i'm
1: and I, now you can watch it on a big screen yeah
0: i can i was thinking about actually going and seeing it at south by southwest again just so i could get that theatrical experience mm-hmm. but um now i can pay them money <laughs> mm-hmm. now for some upcoming grant deadlines with a deadline of
2: november 14th is the hot docs ted rogers fund Canadian documentary filmmakers with docs in production who have commercially released a documentary or fiction film in Canada are eligible for this fund. In June 2016, Hot Docs and the Rogers Foundation founded the $1 million Hot Docs Ted Rogers Fund to support Canadian documentary filmmakers. Over the coming 10 years, production grants will be distributed to Canadian documentary filmmakers with up to $20,000 granted to three or four projects each year. Uh, Now for some festival deadlines... With a deadline of this Friday, November 2nd, is the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which takes place in Santa Barbara, California, from January 30th through February 9th, 2019. So this is the late deadline, and it's now in its 34th year, this festival, and presents a diverse slate of more than 200 films to an audience of over 90,000. Not in a single screening, though. That would be crazy. The SBIF, also known as Spiff, Spiff, Spiff. Also offers seminars with industry. Spiff, spiff, spiff. spiff. (laughs) Spiff. I don't think
0: any of these festivals are ever known as their acronyms. That's me getting
2: deflated.
1: (laughs) If you say it, if you say it three times and click your heels together, you just appear there.
2: Uh, This copacetic festival offers seminars (laughs) with industry professionals, (laughs) including directors, writers, producers, and women in the business panels, as well as Q&A sessions with a diverse selection of filmmakers. The Panavision Spirit Award for Independent Cinema goes to the best independent film, and you can win a camera package worth approximately $60,000.
1: And in a festival that I every year think takes place in England, but it actually takes place in Missouri.
2: I always think it takes place in a dictionary. (laughs)
1: My God, we are corny as hell today. Anyway, the Oxford Film Festival has a deadline of November 5th. Again, this takes place in Oxford, Missouri, uh, in February, and this is the late deadline, so it's your last chance to get to Missouri. This was its sixth year of being named a top 50 film festival worth the entry fee from Our Mom. And last year's awards included a $10,000 Panavision camera rental, post sound and color work, and cash prizes for several winners, including both the documentary and narrative feature winners.
2: And with a deadline of November 9th is the CineQuest Film and VR Festival, which takes place in San Jose, California from March 5th through the 17th, 2019, and this is the late deadline. CineQuest was voted Best Film Festival by USA Today readers, and the festival programs 85 to 90% of its festival from paid submissions annually, the highest percentage of the world's most influential film festivals. Also, as an Academy qualifying festival for the short film categories, Cinequest is proud to honor the winners of its Best Short Narrative and Best Short Animation prizes. And now, it's time... For some weekly words of wisdom.
1: Weekly words of wisdom.
2: So I I sat down with the the ever young uh, Frederick Wiseman. Just we had to sit down. He was out of breath. He was very tired. He's 88 years old.
1: But also you had to choose him for this segment because his name is literally wise. Wise man,
2: man. wise man. So you got to do it. I didn't even think about that. That's, that brain uh, of mine not working. Uh, <laughs> we asked his films are known for being very very long. Uh, his I think approximately like. All of his films are at least three hours on average. Uh, So his latest one, Monrovia, Indiana, is actually a little bit shorter, like 150 minutes. And after nine weeks of filming there in a town that he had never been to before he decided to start filming, uh, I wanted to ask if how did he know that he had a fully realized picture? Because he edits – he shoots about 120 hours of footage and edits down from there to make like two and a half. So like, how do you even – and he's very – let's just say not too – Fanciful, spoken. He downplays what he does, I'll just say. He's humble. He's humble. He's humble. So, what he says is. Like me. Exactly. Exactly. The guy was originally seven hours. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, what he said was at the end of filming is when he decides, when he knows he's fully finished, and that was pretty blunt, Uh, I decided at the end of filming because I have enough material out of which I can cut a film. In 120 hours, I should probably find something. I have no idea when I begin, and I only have the vaguest idea when I end. At the end of shooting, I think, well, I got a lot of sequences that I think are good, but I still don't have any idea what the film's point of view is going to be. That only emerges after months of editing. The sequences appear in the film as I find them useful to present. The order of the sequences in the film has nothing to do with the order in which they are shot. The sequences are all edited down. Except for the transition shots, there are very few sequences that are in their original length. Sometimes sequences could be, for instance, the senior staff meetings that I show in the film went an hour and a half. And yet in the movie, they may be six or seven minutes, maybe two minutes here, a minute there, 30 seconds there, edited together to appear as if it took place the way you're watching it in the film when it didn't. And that's one of the fictional aspects of this kind of filming. Uh so yeah humble is a great word to describe how he talks about his process and it is just interesting because while i was talking with him i was a little it was a little bit of a harder interview because he does have very curt and brief to the point answers just of like oh how did you decide to do that he's like well i made the decision to to do this yeah <laughs> and i'm like well, oh okay and then i would kind of like scramble for a few more you know questions on the spot but i i did like his kind of Nonchalant plainly of you edit it down, you find even when you're filming and even after you finish filming, you it's okay still not to know where your story lies in the documentary. And he takes about a year almost in editing just to find that and kind of whittle it down to shape, which even though it's still very long films, the amount of footage he has
0: is you know, pales in comparison.
1: I like that. It feels very liberating, definitely. yeah,
0: all right. And we're almost done for the day. but of course, we've got some shout outs. Uh, This week, and I've got one this week because I'm still in mourning a little bit, Uh, I wanted to give one last shout-out to Super Deluxe, whose final project, The Passage, will be premiering Friday on Super Deluxe channels, iTunes, and Filmstruck before that disappears as well. The project was featured at many festivals over the course of the last year, playing in episodic sections... And after its premiere at Sundance, I sat down with the creator, Philip Burgers, to discuss The Passage, which is sort of like a modern-day silent comedy, and we'll link to that in the post accompanying this podcast.
1: I really liked The Passage as well. It was like a very um
0: Where did you see it again?
1: Sundance. I was oh, trying to saw get him Sundance. on the episodic podcast then, right. and then you, you were able to get him later, which was awesome. Um, I also have a quick uh, shout-out, of course, because what's the show without a shout-out from me? Um, daughters of the sexual revolution. That's it. Shout out to you, girls. Mm. Oh, just kidding. Um, the film called "Daughters of the Sexual Revolution: Colon the Untold Story of the Dallas Cowboys Cheerleaders" premiered at South by Southwest this year. That's and actually
0: SXSW. I think is what they they like to uh, go by.
1: Yeah, I thought they were the cheerleaders of the SF Giants. No. Okay. <laughs> Baseball um, doesn't have cheerleaders. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, this movie premiered at SXSW, <laughs> so you can't even say that acronym. Yeah, it is hard. <laughs> and is hitting limited theatrical and VOD release tomorrow. One of its producers, Stacy Reese, is a friend and seems like the busiest doc producer in the game these past couple years. We had her on the podcast for producing The Eagle Huntress, and so we'll also link to that in the podcast post. And congrats, Stacy!
0: And on next week's interview podcast, I'll be talking with Daniel Schmidt, one of the directors of Diamantino, which was the winner of the annual Critics Week sidebar at Cannes, where it premiered. Uh, this movie is fucking crazy. Uh, it's probably the weirdest movie I saw all year. Um, it features a... Uh, it's a it's about a soccer player, very uh, Cristiano Ronaldo-like soccer player, who is a man-boy, basically, and um, loses his powers to play soccer... Uh, so he gets like kidnapped by his evil stepsisters, and he has to uh, find a way. Oh, yeah, and he like becomes subject to these like sexual experiments. It's very what? Wow. It's very weird. Uh there's as finally it,
2: my life on screen.
0: As Eric, yeah, you said something. We were talking about it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, in the meeting. The, in the there meeting. Are these yeah, puppies or these? Yeah, giant there's like dogs. a giant puppies in yeah. clouds sequence it's very it seemed weird. i
2: think at nyff it played like in their avant-garde yeah section, it played at York right? film festival yeah. too
0: um and at tiff which is yeah. where i uh saw it and it certainly
1: sounds avant-garde it's yeah. very
0: avant-garde uh and the guys who made it are also very interesting people so uh it's a pretty good conversation and you'll be able to hear it on monday that's it for today though and uh you know thanks for sticking around and listening to it I hope that it was copacetic enough for you uh, you can read all about everything we've talked about on the show on nofilmschool.com please subscribe and rate us on iTunes as always I'm John Fusco you can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim
1: I'm on Twitter at Liz Film
0: I'm at Eric Lewis
1: we're all at No Film School and go vote
0: thanks for listening
1: see you next week ciao
0: happy Halloween goodbye